Welcome to The Spin. Today, your hosts are Conrad and Kina. How are you, Kina? I'm good, thanks. And yourself, Conrad? I can't complain. I'm glad to see that there was no pause there uh, because just the two of us, so, you know, it was, it was quite, quite blatant who, who was being spoken to. So yeah. I hear you talking about, you know, the, the end of quarter results and sort of market sentiment and you're going to bring that back, back home to gold. Then I'm going to be having a look at South Africa's poppy laws that came into effect on the 1st of July. And then, yeah, maybe just a bit of a quick chat around, you know, Hong Kong, what's happening there. So, um, without further ado, so the South African Protection of Personal Information or Poppy Act uh, got expanded on the 1st of July and all businesses, be they little, little, B&Bs all the way through to your, your mega corporations like Sassol or Anglo-American. Um, they all have to be compliant or face fines of up to 10 million rand. And this act should finally mean an end to those, you know, the robot, robot marketing calls where previously you couldn't, you didn't really have anything to do or couldn't do anything about it. Now, you know, you can take it to, to the, the, um, the commission and they can, they can they deal with it. I see here the, the Business Insider article, one of the things talking about it says that the regulator has quite a bit of clout. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. And the article continues on going saying that, you know, it's good for the economy and that, you know, this, it allows for increased trade between countries because there's data privacy protection on both ends of the deals, which, which you know, creates a bit of ease of trade. So what do you think about this, Kino? Yeah, um, it, it, it isn't something that I've um, looked into before, not something that I, that I understand really well. Um, but I think you've, 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 you've covered it well, and it's not something that, that I can really comment on at, at this stage. Um, you know, being that in mind, I'd, I'd much rather talk about what, what I know on, which is the, the, the amazing quarterly performance, which I, which I really want to get to talking about, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Can you just talk a little bit louder? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so, Conrad, I, I want to talk to you about, um, it's been a, years, a year of extreme highs and extreme lows. You know, we've been at the, the, the tail ends of the normal distribution this year. So, you know, um, in the first quarter, you know, we, we had a drop of 20% in the market. This is the American market. And we use the S&P 500 as a kind of proxy for the entire market performance, right? So, we had a, a drop of 20% in the first, quarter, the first quarter, which was the biggest decline since the financial crisis in the fourth quarter of 2008, right? But um, now, at the end of the fourth quarter, which just happened now, we've had the biggest rally since the 2008 bubble, right? So the S&P rallied more than 19.95% to notch its biggest quarterly gain since 1998, which is at the height of the tech boom. Um, and this is just a really cool lesson in kind of how, you know, um, investors and, and market participants think about the market, that these gains and these losses have been, you know, purely driven by... Um, investor emotion around things um, like the coronavirus. You know, if you look at the progression of the virus, things have not gotten much better. There's been a drop of cases in May, but then there's been a resurgence in June. Um, so let's talk about kind of why we saw this massive increase in the S&P and what led to this run. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about really positive financial metric coming out of the US, right? We saw the, the, um, the job roll come out and we saw increased employment, which was taken really well by the market. We've also seen, you know, consistent increases of liquidity into the market by the Fed cards and cash injections. So there's all this stimulus and all this good news going into pushing the market higher. 
But Conrad, what's really interesting is that there's, there's this very um, interesting duality because at the same time, you know, Fed representatives came out and said, look guys, we aren't going to see a full economic recovery from this um, in the next few years. It's going to take a while. So all of the, the, the economics point to a recovery only happening for in the future, but the market is just reacting so positively to this news. And, and as Conrad pointed out a few interviews ago, a few podcasts ago that when things are really bad, you know, the market tends to grab onto positive news with a vice grip, um, which is what has happened. What's really interesting is, is, is valuations um, are also at, you know, a all-time highs, right? So they, they, the valuation stands at 22, the, the S&P 4 PE ratio, which is the highest level since the dot-com boom. Um, and then just for the viewers that don't know, when I talk about valuations, it's basically... Um, you know, we use valuation in conversation, but when, when we say that, we mean the, the, the P-E ratio. And that is basically the ratio that a stock trades at relative to its earnings, right? So the stock is priced at the multiple of 22 higher than what the earnings of the stock actually are. So Conrad, um, what do you think about, you know, the market mudding the, the, the 2008 bubble in terms of valuations and performance where we've got this kind of global economic crisis going on? Well, I think, you know, it's it's definitely... I think market efficiency in terms of, you know, how information is being reflected has, has probably gone down. And I think over the next year or two, we'll see a lot of articles and, you know, research into, into seeing, you know, was the information that's, that's been released actually properly, properly priced into, into the, um, the markets. And I think an easy answer would be to say that, no, it's not because you know, people, people are seeing that things are looking bad and, they, they don't want to realize their losses, you know, and you know, they say history repeats itself. And you said, you know, in the, 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 the dot-com bubble, the GFC, and now today, you know, there's these, these great rebounds, but nothing really necessarily backing it. And with the economic recovery, it's only expected to, you know, reach pre-COVID states you know, end of next year. Um, I don't know where, where these, these valuations are coming from, you know, what's the underlying, the underlying, um, Factor because you know as we know, two of the key things in valuations or equities are the, the expected cash flows and the discount rate. And the discount rate is you know the proxy for risk. And there's there's definitely an increase in risk now, which would you know, push push the share price lower generally. And there's reduced cash flows, which would also uh, decrease the share price. So I think it's a lot of speculation, to be honest. Um, people don't want to. People don't want to, um, you know, admit that or realize their losses and accept that this this is what is. So maybe you know, it's it's the the stock market seems to be downward sticky. You know, if things look bad, they just sort of stay where they were until things look better and then they go up again. Uh, that's just my two cents on it. And that's great commentary, Conrad. I think what also happened is that you know we mentioned that the first quarter we had one of the worst quarters ever. And that obviously led to a lot of institutional investors selling of some equity positions. So what has probably happened now is that there was all that liquidity um, lying around from that first quarter. And, you know, here's an opportunity to, to buy. And it was just, you know, a flood of liquidity into the market at the same time. Which, you know, um, you just spoke about the kind of the psychological reasons behind that. And this, that's kind of like the practical thing that happened um, along with that psychological reasoning. And then, Conrad, I just wanted to talk about, about gold. So the very interesting thing is that while we've seen this rally in the past quarter is that Gold has rallied along with the market and, and smashed above um, $1,800 for the first time since 2011. Um, you know, the theory behind gold, and it's kind of a loose theory, is that gold is supposed to be um, the kind of safe haven asset when things go, go sour and people turn to gold when there's uncertainty in the market. You know, that's what 
um, the, the, the kind of base on theories. But you know, historically, um, there's been kind of a, a negative correlation between gold and equities for that very reason, because usually when things go bad, um, equities go pear-shaped and then gold shines. But we've seen gold, you know, rally instead worth um, equities at the moment, which is very interesting. But another theory for why we've seen this rally in gold is that, um, so the Yale's economist, Stephen Roach, recently won that, quote, the era of the US dollar's exorbitant privilege as the world's primary reserve currency is coming to an end. So just to unpack this for the viewers very quickly, um, you know, the dollar is is considered the, the world's primary reserve currency, you know, because America is one of the biggest um, economies in the world and there's a lot of trust in the dollar from the global financial system. But there's a, a school of thought of people that are, are opposed to the dollar being that and look at them and a safeguard asset like gold as being, you know, an alternative to being the world's primary reserve. You know, they, they call them gold bugs. So there's kind of these two conflicting economic ideas that there shouldn't be a fiat currency being um, the world's prime reserve. Maybe gold should be that. So um, in recent times, you know, in the past few weeks, the past few months, there's been a lot of talk about that. And that's also put, you know, upward pressure on gold. Um, economist um, Peter Schiff, which has been very vocal during the, the global financial crisis, has been talking about this for years. You know, he's been talking about, um, you know, the, the era of the US dollar being kind of the baseline and the, the prime reserve should come to an end. So some other reasoning behind um, gold's increase is that the dollar has been has been weak recently and um, you know buying gold is kind of the key to to, if so, to offset this dollar weakness and this um, dollar decline and the Fed you know has gone all in on financing um, the, the, the government deficit that it's had is growing this deficit and um, this puts the US dollar at the disk you know so that's just kind of an interesting uh, macroeconomic parallel to what is happening and it's just very interesting that there are these kind of extremes happening in, in the market and it's really going to redefine how we think about the market. No, definitely, but you know, I think a lot of people said that after the GFC. You know, this is, this is a yeah. once-in-a-generation crash and we don't have to redefine how we look at everything. And But at the end of the day, it's all much the same. So, yeah. but I mean, this is a much more fundamental issue, COVID. It's affecting the, yeah. the economy itself. It's not just a, a housing bubble that triggers off, you know, all the, all the, um, or it you know, exposes all the issues that were in, in the financial market previously. But I mean, look, Andre, if you're being fair, right, after the, the 2008 GFC, we did see a lot of changes in the market, specifically around securitization and derivatives, you know, what kind of products are, were allowed to be turned into derivatives. You know, we saw um, the massive, you know, mortgage-backed securities and the effect that those, those had. But as you stated, you know, um, that was kind of a crisis that was, localized to the market and that's those policy decisions came about and that's changed whereas as if this is more you know macroeconomic fundamentals which are kind of changing how we understand things so you're right in saying that we have to see if things do change and how they do change so, yeah. yeah but i think yeah it's still i mean we have to look at the crystal ball and see yeah see what happens but um yeah so i think that's us for today it's been a good chat thank you very much Gina. au revoir Thank you.